Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I am Matt Kirshen. I'm joined by Jesse Case. Hey buddy. And Andy Wood. Hello there. And we got a really cool guest this week. We've been trying to get, uh, trying to find a time to make this happen for a while. Just saw his comedy special taping the other day. Down at the Lyric. Down at the Lyric. Star of Punching the Clown. Star Uh, of Henry's Kitchen. Star of Henry's Kitchen. Star of many funny things. Uh, Mr. Henry Phillips. Thanks. Oh, I look at me fucking up the... (laughs) What happened? I, I was going to give you an even longer introduction, and then he just musician, comedian. Yeah, we'll see. What you Get just about. did was professional. In that, uh, have you ever had the intro where they say your name first? I've had that a couple oh. of times. Oh recently. yeah, and where do you go? Uh, this next guy, Henry Phillips, he's done blah blah blah. <laughs> it's like, man, you just yeah, you're supposed to wait. Secretly thinking the, the up inflection, so you think you go. This next guy, Henry Phillips, yeah. has been seen. On- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I've, I've had a million times like walking to the mic as the guy's still going. Oh yeah, and yeah. We're both just on stage. <laughs> it was like the last time I was at the improv that happened. I just like stood by the piano while he finished, and then I was like, oh, okay. Oh man. And then- <laughs> I uh, I did a gig. Uh, Andy Kindler and I did a gig. Uh, it was a benefit, and the host was uh, Ted Lang. Uh, do you know who I'm from talking about? Love Boat? Isaac, yes. yeah, from Love Boat, oh, yeah. which we were all starstruck. Which sure. one was Isaac? I've, I've seen uh, yeah, the He's uh, the guy. black guy. Okay. So was and he, uh, uh, the bartender. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, was he a know, comic? Very lovable. Um, no, he wasn't, uh, but he was a celebrity enough to, to do this uh, benefit, and I was definitely starstruck by him. But And nothing against him. He doesn't know, you know our world, but um, somebody involved could have asked for our our intros for when we walked on stage yeah. just like hey what do you want me to say kind of thing we've yeah. got that all worked out as and comics. he's a professional actor so you yeah. can presumably read a line off a yeah. card with it's, accuracy and it's not skill. his fault but some what they did was they just sort of copied and pasted our bios off of our oh god website. i've had this i've had exactly this so uh and and he had had a couple of drinks i think and he was just sort of like all right well this next guy henry phillips Phillips has been doing comedy for 20 years. He's been doing yeah. blah, blah, blah. He's been featured. I mean, your fucking bio, like, reads the whole yeah. bio. I'm like, this like is essay. five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. takes a drink in the middle of it. Like, yeah, he's like, wow, this is long. Okay. Um, you know, but I'm like, who reads somebody's entire bio? <laughs> sure. Be funny if you had an autobiography and they just used that. His Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did anybody... Uh, Ask for Ted Lang's autograph at this thing? Oh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, I did not. Um, I doubt Andy Kendler did. What was the, what was the benefit <laughs> for? Uh, it was for people in wheelchairs. <laughs> and my one... my one, <laughs> In general. In general, people in wheelchairs. Yeah. Any oh, reason. Man. There's a couple of funny things that happen there. Uh, <laughs> my, my one friend has has the story of the night or maybe I do. I don't know. We have two stories, but he, he's a friend of mine who just happened to come out to support, not a comedian. He's actually a very innocent guy. He works in the, uh, medical industry. He's a, a physician's assistant. And, uh, we were talking to this girl in a wheelchair and she was just talking about her life story and all that stuff. And at one point she mentioned how she should have been dead. And yet she's turned her life into this, um, you know, amazing thing. She's written books. Kevin, uh, bad choice of words he goes well you're a walking miracle <laughs> sure and and then it was just like immediately oh <laughs> but he's such a what, what's the word i'm looking for guileless type yeah. guy that there's no there was no uh 
it was clear that he wasn't trying to be smart assy or anything like that. He just bad choice of words, and Did she he? and she laughed at it, and it okay. was cool. So he realized as he said it. Yeah. Yeah, it, like it's almost like while it's coming, you're a walking <laughs> miracle. So really God. stretching that word. Yeah, out. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love it when people uh, <laughs> yeah. dig a hole immediately because like they try so hard to get out of stuff like that. Oh, I know. It's yeah. like, oh, you're a walking. Oh, I didn't mean to ramp that up. Oh, uh, oh we're rolling now. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> ah, and you've got a whole bunch. Of, yeah. <laughs> um, and then mine was a little darker. <laughs> I was over at the bar, and, you know, I'm listening because they're about to say my name, and, uh, you know, they're, they're reading my bio. Uh, but <laughs> He started the resume, over... so you're just getting a drink and yeah. going to the bathroom. But, uh, yeah, I'm getting a beer, and I'm about to go on, and uh, there's a guy with a wheelchair there, and he's like, uh, hey, how's it going? And I was like, uh, hey, pretty good. I'm one of the comedians. Actually, I think I'm about to go on right now. And the guy's like, oh, comedian, that's great. Boy, I'd always love to be a comedian. I, um... I'd love to be a lot of things. Um, You know, when I was 15, uh, I was walking home from school uh, routinely, just like I did every day, and a friend of mine asked me for a ride, and I got in that car, and, um, well, uh, we were sideswiped at an intersection, and my friend was fine, but my, uh, I lost the use of my legs, and, and, uh, and he starts getting kind of choked up, and he's like, uh, you know, I've never even had sex. <laughs> and uh, and that's when I hear Henry Phillips. You know, like, uh, listen, buddy, I got to go. I got to get up there. <laughs> I feel terrible, but I have to leave this conversation yeah. right I now. I have to go do stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> I have to go make people laugh. Um, we're going to forget about this. And, you know... No, but I mean, this for people out there, this is the kind of stuff that comedians laugh at. It's not necessarily... It's also the kind of stuff that happens to Henry a lot. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that guy was trying out material on you? Uh, you know, that kind of... Like, <laughs> I don't think so. No, I think he was looking for somebody to chat with. Um, <laughs> how could that be at the forefront of your mind for that many years? How, you know, how could you not have learned? Yeah, I know. It, it was just... Because it was I a mean, charity for that. You know, and I, you, I summed it up in about, you know, 30 seconds. But the conversation, realistically, was more like about three or four minutes, you know. But eventually <laughs> we got into it. And uh, But that is like, you're amazing at stumbling into these situations i don't yeah. know how i you know i've i've thought about this a lot because other people have said that and i don't know if it's that they don't happen to everybody i just when they do happen i just make mental note of it and then i tell it that could be it for weeks afterward <laughs> and then it's just sort of part of my brain and those are the things that i choose to <laughs> talk about. but i've had a lot of times when i'm out with somebody i think you're very approachable though yeah, well, I mean, it could be that. Well, also, yeah, I mean, there's other people that might have just ditched the, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to talk to the wheelchair or whatever. I don't know. Who knows? But I, that's not awful. But what I'm just saying is some people just don't find themselves. Maybe it, it's one of those things that you you go so out of your way to avoid an uncomfortable situation, perhaps more than everybody else does, that you actually wind up creating a more <laughs> uncomfortable situation sure. that's like foreign territory to everybody else. <laughs> you know? That makes sense. Yeah. And also, you know, um, I've had times when I'm sit- when I'm around with somebody, you know, like at a party or like at the improv where it seems like awkward situations abound at that place, you know, because there's just so many people and it's like oh man i talked to that guy for 30 seconds and said something awkward and then they left and they don't understand the joke i was trying to make or whatever (laughs) 
but I'll be like, uh, that was awkward. And my friends will be like, that wasn't awkward at all. It was completely normal. And I'm like, all right, well, it felt awkward. And so maybe once I convince them of the fact that it was awkward, <laughs> they're like, yeah, I guess you're right. It is awkward. I didn't see it that way. Sure. So, so you're just knows? spinning stuff after the fact as awkward. Yeah. Um, which is awkward. <laughs> that is awkward. Yeah. Yeah. It's very awkward. I don't know what it is. Just neuroticism. Is that sort of the, the foundation of, uh, what got you, you were a musician before you were a comedian. Yes. Right? Yeah. That was always my first love ever since I was eight years old. Loved music. Even before that, you know, I just, when a little kid, I would listen to Elvis and I'd watch him on, uh, you know, yeah. movies, you know, the movies they'd show on TV and I'd be like, that's what I want to do. I want to be the guy with the guitar who sings. And Which was your favorite Elvis um, version? Uh, my el- my favorite Elvis uh, song was Heartbreak Hotel. That's the no, one. No, that's that, great. Yeah. But I mean, are you a young Elvis or fat Elvis? Oh, young Elvis. As a matter of fact, uh, I remember when I was about eight, I heard Heartbreak Hotel and I was so blown away because it's got that cool slapback uh, reverb on his voice and everything. It just sounded awesome. And I saw like a documentary about him and they showed some old uh, pictures of him. And I was like, that's cool. And... Um, I asked my mom if we could go to the record store and buy an Elvis record, and she she should have her uh, generation stripes removed mm-hmm. because she didn't know what the name of that song was. <laughs> so we bought an album called Elvis Live uh, from Vegas via satellite or something like that, <laughs> and it was old fat Elvis, yeah. and the song that she chose was a cover of a of a nice song called "I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry." Sure. But I listen to that. But and that's sort of like one of the lyrics in Heartbreak Hotel. Right. And so I listened to it, and it was so not the song that I thought it was going to yeah. be. And the pictures of Elvis were old, fat, sequin jumpsuit Elvis, and he was just like, <laughs> and I was like literally crying because I was like, this is not what I wanted at all. And I was, it was like the. Uh, the first time I had seen somebody just really quickly go from being awesome to being old and <laughs> fat. And, uh, you know why he wore the jumpsuit? Why? Uh, this is true. Because uh, it didn't really make sense. He was the first like rock star to go jumpsuit, okay. you know? And it was so he was always prepared to do karate. Uh, <laughs> like at any given moment, he might have to do karate. So that, he was very proud of his black belt. Oh, wow. So he's, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wear a jumpsuit on stage, man. I've got to breathe. Yeah, the king could get attacked. Oh man! So that's cool, though. It's not. It's. It wasn't for the image, or at least ostensibly not. You know, I was was expecting it was going to be for something like yeah, like ease of shitting or something. But but then it wouldn't be because jumpsuit is very hard. It's like as though uh, you know. David Bowie or Freddie Mercury had like some practical reason that they wore that stuff that they <laughs> yeah, wore. You know, it's like no, this is. I, I wish it didn't look this weird, but this is just yeah, what I have Freddie to wear. Freddie would hold like half of the mic stand like that as like a bow staff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And the Ziggy yeah. Stardust makeup was just to reduce the glare of the stage lights. Like, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Eyes were sensitive. Yeah, like how, that one like, weird pupil. You it was just yeah, an like outside effect that it looked cool. Yes, yeah. 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 Yeah, but so anyway, that night, uh, I, I guess my mom must have told my dad that I was disappointed, and uh, he came home with the correct record, which was one of the. It was like, uh, hmm, I don't remember what the name of the album was, but it had the original uh, sure. Heartbreak Hotel, and then I was a happy camper. But you I, were able to yeah. put the drinking of gravy out of a thermos, Elvis. Yeah, yeah, out of your mind, absolutely. The deep fried peanut butter banana sandwich, Elvis. <laughs> But I was you sort of like, yeah. delicious. He deep fried those? He used to deep fry peanut butter like banana sandwiches. For, wow. Yeah. yeah. He'd shoot his TVs 
I love the old Elvis. I mean, like the the old fat Elvis. Yeah. Just because it was the first, like that had never happened before. No one had ever been that big. Oh, I know. He was the he was the sample. Like he was like the pre Beatles. Like like how crazy will people get? He was like, like a guinea pig. Yeah. Like yeah. He we, was a we all pig. we all watched in horror as <laughs> yeah. we see what happens when somebody is never told no in a situation. Mm-hmm. Like what happens when you give someone that should probably just be like a Dairy Queen employee? Yeah, yeah. Like Everything millions of that dollars. They could have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and universal adoration, right? Imagination. But I was, uh, I was like the young Buddha, Siddhartha, whose parents tried to uh, shield him from all of the evils of the world, like <laughs> age and death and starvation and all these things. They tried to make it so that he never saw any of those things, and when he did, his entire perspective on life changed. And that's the, the way I was when, when you, I saw Fat Elvis. When you saw Fat Elvis, you realized that all this suffering. And, and I was like, you. wherein lies the realm of life that is not subject <laughs> Surely there's to a middle fatness way. and excess. <laughs> and then you walked the lens like, like uh, David Carradine or something. That's what I did. Or... Yeah. Wow. So, Henry, we always ask our guests this before we get into the stories. Uh, what, if anything, is your background in science? Um, and it doesn't have to be anything at all. But It was completely new until I started going to college. Because uh, in high school, I just it was just a blur. I was terrible uh, at everything in high school. I just squeaked by the best that I could. But in college, it, it just started becoming fascinating to me. I'm a complete layperson. I don't have any. Um, I was a you know I, I'm a liberal arts major. You know I was a political science major. So um, I don't uh, you know have any background other than that I think scientifically and I. Uh, have read on my own a lot about it and taken all the basic courses and um, is I'm there fascinated bran- by it. Is there a branch of the sciences that you are more interested in than others? Ooh, um, I would say physics, but uh, not. I'm not good with the hard science or the mathematics, but I like the implications of it. I mm-hmm. really enjoyed reading about Newton and all of the amazing uh, discoveries that he had and the implications of you know determinism and. Uh, Sure. You know, um, if if you tell me where an object is at any point, I can predict the future, basically. And and the question of, well, if that's the case, does that mean that we're not even really accountable for the things that we do? It's just all a, a matter of the way things were situated. And, right. you know, if my brain is reacting a certain way to an environmental stimuli, how do I have any control over that? And uh, so I was always kind of fascinated by those types of things. That, but, yeah. ex- everything you just said should be what you just told the guy in the wheelchair. Yeah, after yeah. Says, <laughs> after he says, I've never had sex. He'd be like, well, look, man, our brains, like, when you were in that car, <laughs> you were going to be in that car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only way it could have been. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, you're absolutely right. It was predetermined. But And then you guys could probably shed light on this, but I think I think things have gotten a lot more complicated since Newton, right? They definitely have. In sure. terms of free will. But then again, we had this debate with, uh, with Dr. Sean Carroll, a theoretical physicist uh, from Caltech who is also a philosopher and, and a writer about issues like free will and and he basically said he doesn't believe in free he thinks that the universe is totally deterministic and mm-hmm. that we don't really have free will but that it's useful to think of it as a thing because at the level that we deal with like yes everything we're doing is is a reaction is is an is a result of all these tiny things happening but there's so there's so many of them that it's just useless to think about it on that level. So thinking about it on a human level, why not just call it free will? Basically, is I, I think see. what his take on it was, which sort of makes sense to me. So it's like semantics, kind of. Yeah, it's just like on the scale you're dealing with. Um, why even 
worry yourself with the fact that yes, this is trillions of interactions of molecules. Uh, and uh, also, I think that like, how do you have cr- crime and punishment if you don't if you agree that it's all, you know, that's right, true. If everything's predetermined. Well, then it would become the reason that you uh, punish or or you either uh, execute somebody or contain them would be similar to the way that you try to solve a cancer. You know, right? It's in just society protecting just society of, yeah, from this exactly. person more than teaching them a lesson or something. Yeah, guys, I feel the the uh, Henry. Obviously, you're a musician. Yes. Um, and I want to talk to you about that uh, in a second. We, but we have a we had a good intro tune today, guys. We did, we did. That was an intro courtesy of a listener by the name of Joseph Porritt. Thank you, Joseph, for sending that in. Um, we have, I think, at least three more themes that have been sent by listeners we haven't gotten to play yet, and we'll try to get to those in upcoming episodes. Yeah, we yeah, might we have created a monster. It we may have created a monster. It may have got to the point that versions of our theme tune are being sent in quicker than we can put out episodes that is that is happening <laughs> I mean, if we get more than one a week that's happening we've, we've approached yeah we've hit critical mass we, we've peak theme but uh you know we encourage you to keep doing it you can send you know, those why to not probably signs at gmail.com if you want to d-a-g-a all major mm-hmm. you know minor seventh arpeggio do it <laughs> is um, that the chord progression for the song yeah this is real simple and then i just oh, had, an, had an arpeggiator yeah those that's, are the lyrics uh, it's one really, five four five yeah it is one five four five. So he you does know his the, stuff. In case you want to have a girl sing it, then you can jack it up about you know three or four steps. Three or four steps. Yeah. So so obviously mentioning the number system, yeah. uh, Henry. Um, wh- so when did you get when did you get started with music, man? Uh, when I was about eight. That's when you my got into Elvis. Bought me guitar. Right? Yeah. Same time. Pretty much because of that, because of watching. Uh, Elvis movies where he's around girls and all of a sudden there's a guitar behind the bar or whatever and he picks it up and sings a song and everybody he's everybody's favorite person and uh, it is weird how that's the uh, the, the opposite, opposite of that yeah, happens yeah. in real life <laughs> <laughs> like like well, every- I was very disappointed when I found out no that everybody happen. hates guitar <laughs> oh douche I know at like a they luau absolutely do but but there was a tuning <laughs> as well there's, there's not a Elvis jumps into 2010 and it's like uh, hey welcome nobody wants to hear me play the guitar here this sucks. <laughs> I heard uh, it got ruined somewhere in between. There's a great podcast called Roderick on the Line with John Roderick from the Long Winters and Mm -hmm. Merlin Mann, and they were talking about how the guitar is the 21st century clarinet. Oh yeah, I was like, what? And as they explained it more, I was like, they're exactly right. I mean, think of there was a time when the hit songs of the day were clarinet songs, and you would pick up the clarinet because that was the hip instrument to play. Yeah, and it's laughable now. And we all think that because guitar has had like a 50, 60 year run, it's never going away. But like. It's going to be a relic. It's mm-hmm. going to be a thing that kids are like, oh my God, a guitar. Well, oh, so, I, I mean, so is rock and roll. Like, so yeah. is all of it. It's going to be, we, things are, we think of things as like, like there's a hall of fame for something that's existed for like 50 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not, it means nothing. Are we in the podcasting hall of fame yet? <laughs> like when are, that's what I mean. When are they going to start that? Like it's, it's going to happen, but I just mean, I, I think a lot of these things become obsolete, but it has been said a million times, like guitar music's over, guitar music's over. And then, you know, they said that during disco, like right. guitar music's over and then it comes back. Right, well, t- is, is Nirvana guitar music? Yeah. All right. So, cause I remember when Rolling Stone came out with their like top hundred, uh, best guitar players ever. Mm-hmm. Um, this was probably in the late nineties. I remember that article. One. I know and, what you're talking about. Yeah. And like <laughs> Eddie Van Halen was like number 75. Right. And Kurt Cobain was like 10 or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wrong about right. the exact numbers, but it was like 
people in my generation were like, all right, I think even if you asked Kurt Cobain if he was a good guitar player, <laughs> he'd be like, hell no. Right. I, I don't think he thought of himself as a guitar hero whatsoever. He right. wrote amazing songs. He was a great arranger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could say musician, performer. There's a lot of words you could say. Sing but yeah. just say Right. But, but that was, what it was, it was, a, it was a backlash against the entire type of music. And that's not... Right. They shouldn't have... That's irresponsible. It's like, if you're talking just strictly guitar... Here's a guy who just invented this sound that sounded like a spaceship, you know, in 79. And they were like, what the hell? Like, it, there's no missing link. If you listen before Eddie, it's very hard to find somebody that sounded anything like that. And he changed the way everybody played guitar. And I'm fairly sure yeah. that whole article, Django Reinhardt, wasn't in it. Oh, which wow. I think I think Rolling Stone just ignores him. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, no. And it's, but I mean, like, if you want to get into like, jazz <laughs> stuff in yeah. general, they're not going to, they probably don't have room for all the. Because, I mean, there is a lot of great, like, virtuosic, virtuosic, is that a term? For uh, jazz players. But it's, like, to them, probably unlistenable and indistinguishable from each other. Sure, but I would equate, I mean, I would easily, like, uh, as far as, like, skill level and pushing things forward, coming up with new sounds, I would put Django with Hendrix. I'd put them next to each other. But I'm weird. You know? But so Eddie Van Halen, I'm not wearing there were pants. no precursors to Eddie Van Halen, really? He was just uh, Yeah, I mean, if you listen before that, well, Clapton was the big guy. Clapton's um, the most overrated guitarist of all time, in my opinion. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't disagree with that. Wouldn't um, Eddie turn around so people couldn't see him, like, tapping? That was really early on, yeah. He, like, invented tapping. Yeah. I heard Keith now, Richards there, would do that, because you, so you wouldn't see how simple it was that he had the five-string <laughs> arrangement, open G, just doing that same hammer-on. Oh, thing. yeah, yeah. He was, like, uh, self-conscious I, about I do that. that. When I'm yeah. playing guitar, so you can't hear that it's actually been played on a CD. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. There was a guy named Alan Holdsworth who, again, was in the jazz world, and he was doing that two tap, two hand tapping thing. And, I, and I'll bet you he's always like been a little bitter about it. Sure, he's like, "All right, well, I'm having a hard time feeding my family. This this guy who runs around in his spandex underwear, or yeah. whatever, is just hugely famous for doing something that I can do in my sleep. Right. But it's it was a lot of you know branding, I guess, is the new term people use or whatever. It's like becoming successful at something but but he brought it into the rock world so yeah he'd be like at the troubadour and uh he didn't want anybody to see him uh do that but people would hear this sound and they're like what the hell is that that but also the tone i mean if you listen to eruption yeah just i defy anybody to listen to anything right before like from 77 that sounds anything even close and i used to take guitar lessons with a guy out here in the valley who was a studio player and he said that after Michael Jackson used um, Eddie Van Halen to play the guitar solo on Beat It. Mm-hmm. Then it was over. Then it was like every R&B artist now or anybody who, who was just a pop artist, it, right. listen to all the guitar solos. It all is an Eddie Van Halen type guitar solo for yeah. years and years until Nirvana. And then everybody and then a whole new generation was like, that sounds cheesy and lame, you know. And then it, there was the backlash. Right. But then like Hendrix... When I in the eighties, I I tried to get into it. I really couldn't it, because there was just so much right. more interesting stuff happening right at that time. Mm-hmm. But that's weird how the pendulum kind of swings because then Hendrix became really cool, and then Stevie Ray Vaughan doing Little Wing, and all these kids wanted to learn how to play that. And then the the Van Halen stuff sounded like, oh, you mean the the guys that are drunk all the time and you know talking about getting laid, and then they just have these three chord songs or whatever. Like, it, well, it, it's interesting. The progression of rock and roll is very similar, I think, to the progression of comedy, in in the sense that, like, so you had like Hendrix records, for instance, and a lot of those were sped up, like to make it faster. What? So they would they would detune, 
and then play. No. And then, yeah. And then if you listen to like a Hendrix Live at Woodstock versus like listening to Are You Experienced, it's night and day. I'm just like, yeah, he wasn't playing that fast. And, and, and I never have heard that, but... But then you have kids at I home don't learning doubt it the because, record, yeah, the fast version, and then they're just that fast. Oh, and it's yeah, it's the same with saying, like yeah. comedy of like like I don't think like Lenny Bruce was that fucking funny like at all because uh, it was like one joke every ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, but then you have people learning that, and yeah, now yeah. you have comedians where it's like every three seconds you shit your pants again that they're so funny. Well, yeah, because also after somebody speed becomes metal a comedy. legend, that's what we're doing. We're speed metal comedy is the era. After somebody becomes a legend, like, say, as a comedian, the only thing the new generation ever hears are the best of the best of any of the, They don't see any of the filler. They just hear the great bits or the Which, great Which, by jokes. the way, is my pet hate. Whenever, and in every, in every form of the arts, there is yeah. a, every and year. And in science, arguably, because we don't talk about the alchemy efforts of Isaac Newton, uh, right? <laughs> didn't, he, didn't he do that? Sure, oh, sure. Well, he went mad oh, that's towards right. the end yeah. of his life. He that's started, right. uh, there's a lot of trying to catch out counterfeiters. Uh, and yeah, there was some alchemy in there too, but um, but no, I mean like every every so often, someone who was like a comedy star from sixty years ago, or in the film business, sixty or, or just a critic, right. will write some dull reactionary piece where which is basically oh they don't make them like they used to, right? And they'll compare the best of the past fifty years to a random sample of today's offerings. Yeah, and you go I hate yeah, when they do that. Yeah, in, in any art form, you go well f- fuck's sake. Yes, of course, the Beatles were amazing, and the Stones were amazing, and and Pet Sounds is a phenomenal album. But around that time, I could, if you put me in a time machine and put me into a record store around that time, <laughs> right? And I just threw splish up. splash. I'm a taking a bath. Do 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 do. And that's one of the ones that's made it through. That's one of the better ones of that. Right. Oh, yeah. Same goes for like six. <laughs> Abysmal sitcoms were being made in the, Teeny the classic Weenie era. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, and I hate it. Make it? it. Yeah, well, Teeny Weenie uh, Oh yeah, of course, because we had a we had a remake of that. Not only did we have the original, but then a t like a kids TV presenter re-released that song. Teeny and Weenie, I think it's pedophile I, guy. No, no, no this Weenie one wasn't polka dot, pink polka dot bikini. Timmy Mallet was his name, and he re-released that song, that was, and he got to like oh, that was like the original thong song. Yeah, like. Yeah, like I feel like the thong song was an upgrade. But I think it got to like I think it got if if not number one, it got like Dude, high number, in the charts. That was number one for like five years. But like even the remake got like like <laughs> I think people got like God, they don't make music like they really because there's oh, some know, phenomenal yeah. music being released right now <laughs> and some terrible music, just like there has been at every other right. era. Yeah. Have you heard Jellyfish, for example? Do you like jellyfish? Yeah, I fucking love, love jellyfish. Yeah. Oh my god, I know I love jellyfish so so much. Yeah. I'm unaware of jellyfish. They're like this Queenish it's band, amazing. but the lead singer is the drummer who, st- who plays stand up drums at the front of the stage. They're very Queen inspired as far as and arrangements and vocal harmonies. Of, They're so fucking good. Of a band that's making amazing music. Well, I mean, I don't know what their time frame is. I've never heard. Their problem yeah. was they were in like '93, so yeah, it was yeah. like in the, hi- was- in the height of grunge. Jellyfish was okay. coming out with this really orchestral harmonies, and yeah. like no one wanted it, so they just failed. But Spilt Milk, Spilt Milk is one of the best albums of all time. Oh yeah, it's so it's- good. But it's like uh, I remember when um, after Hedberg died, there was uh, an article about Dane Cook. Now I'm. Yeah, I've, I've never really been a Dane Cook fan or whatever. But every once in a while, you got to say, all right, are we being fair? Because this guy's he did a diatribe about how much he didn't like Dane Cook. And then he talked about, uh, you know, 
he was do, he was lamenting the uh, you know the the fact that Mitch Hedberg had died, and then he started bringing up the best of the best of the best of the Mitch Hedberg jokes. But I remember seeing Hedberg back in the <laughs> mid '90s just do all kinds of stuff that was all over the place, and it's like. And I know what I'm saying. I'm bordering on the sacrilegious here, but I mean, I, I no, do think it's important to realize oh, that yeah. there was a lot of was stuff that really didn't work. And if no, you, if you to, were in a I vacuum, sometimes, yeah, if you just go up, people, no, people but if you're surprised about that, <laughs> if you just go up to a friend who's never doesn't know anything about a comedy, you know, the comedians themselves or whatever, and just say, "Here's a joke," uh, and then just pick out a random Mitch Hedberg one, they might think that's kind of corny. You know, and I'm just saying, is it just the fact that somebody died that now you're starting to put all this extra, you know, and then also how great would it be if while Mitch was alive, maybe that you wrote this article in the L.A. Times about it, because that might have been something that improves somebody's life and their <laughs> right. career. Although Instead, you just the wait success might dead. have fueled the fire of his, I don't know. Yeah. It might have sped up the. But it's just like, uh, I hate when somebody talks about the, the bygone years and how amazing they were. I mean, I'm basically just sitting so, at the same point. Because we got to do some, we some should yeah, we should get to a story. We have a bunch of listeners who have sent in stories, which you can do by emailing us at probablyscience at gmail.com or tweeting at probablyscience. And this story came to us from Matthew Cravat, and it's pretty Matthew's awesome. Matthew's sent in many stories before. Yes, and useful. Mm-hmm. Well, it's based on, uh, I don't know, are you, are you a pasta consumer, Henry? Uh, are you not, familiar with this not, food? Not anymore. Yeah, I used to. Did something go down? You gave up the pasta? Yeah, no, I just um, I kind of cut out a lot of bread. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Are you going? Yeah. Are you going gluten free? Well, I mean, I, I don't want anybody to think I'm some kind of major health nut, but that's that's just something that I do uh, nowadays. Um, it's a I good do, idea. I do a lot of ri- brown actually. rice, and I do like whole grains and stuff like that. But I just kind of cut the pasta out. Well, here's know? something that might help you because um, it was a little study. It was for a TV show, wasn't it, Jesse? It was for a TV Jesse, show. I, I'm, I'm still trying to find where yeah, the story there, is in the documents. Yeah, there was documents. a TV show called Trust Me, I'm a Doctor. and uh, Which, d- by the way, is something we've all tried to say at one time or another. Mm-hmm. But if you say it on TV, apparently more people believe you. Uh, and one of the experiments from the show turned out to be uh, quite amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're probably familiar with the idea that pasta is a form of carbohydrate. And like all carbs, it gets broken down in your guts and then absorbed as simple sugars, which in turn makes your blood glucose soar. Um, but in response... That's S-O-A-R, not S-O-R-E. Yes. Mm. Uh, and in just, response Just in case to, anyone's wondering. <laughs> I just want to clear that up. Sure. Right. Um, in response to a surge in blood glucose, our bodies produce a rush of the hormone insulin to get your blood glu- glucose back down to normal as swiftly as possible. And uh, because persistently high levels of, of glucose in the blood, it's extremely unhealthy. But a rapid rise in the glucose, followed by a rapid fall, can often make you feel hungry again quite soon after a meal. Which I'm sure we've all experienced, uh, particularly after like Chinese food, mm-hmm. you know, very carby. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're hungry like half an hour later. It's true of sugary sweets and cakes. It's also true for things like pasta, potatoes, white rice, and white bread. But that's why dietitians emphasize the importance of eating foods that are rich in fiber, as these foods produce much more gradual rise and fall in your blood sugars. So then you're not all hyped up and sleepy, you know. Mm. So what did they investigate? Well, what if you could change pasta or potatoes into a food that, to the body, acts much more like fiber? What if you could trick it? What if you can P90X your guts? Uh, what if you can use gut confusion? Muscle confusion. Yeah, confuse them muscles. Uh, well, it seems you can. Cooking pasta and then cooling it down changes the structure of the pasta, turning it into something that is called resistant starch. 
And it's called that because once, uh, once any starchy food is cooked and cooled, it becomes resistant to the normal enzymes in our gut that break carbohydrates down and releases glucose that then causes the familial, uh, familiar blood sugar surge. So this is according to scientist uh, Denise Robertson from the University of Surrey. If you cook and cool pasta down, then your body will treat it much more like fiber. So it'll create a smaller glucose peak uh, and help feed the good bacteria that reside down in your gut. And you'll also absorb fewer calories, making it a win-win. Obvious problem. It's pretty amazing. There's a big problem, though. But then you're eating cold pasta like cold a pasta college sucks. kid. Like a, some sort yeah. of college kid. You're eating yeah. cold pasta like some guy that, that's never seen a JJ. Right. You, know, you don't want to be eating cold pasta. <laughs> what if you could heat it back up? Good question, Jesse. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Chris Van Tulliken roped in some volunteers to do the tests, and they had to undergo three days of testing and all, spread out over several weeks. On each occasion, they had to eat their pasta on an empty stomach. So you got fresh, hot pasta, just made pasta. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. one of them, right? The other one, totally cold. Chilled overnight, right? The third one, cold, then reheated, and they had to give blood... So, but, so that's back to the same as fresh pasta, right? That's you would think so. You would think so, Matt, but it would turn out you'd be a bit of a dumb cunt there. Because <laughs> on each of the days... <laughs> is that they, actually in the article? <laughs> it, is, it is. They wrote it right here. Jesus, you trust change me, I'm a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. You have to yeah. change the sources <laughs> that you, Jesse's being... The BBC has changed. They've <laughs> yeah. changed. They're turning into HuffPost comedy. Yeah. They're, they're getting really... It would turn out this is kind of the best ex- experiment. Um, <laughs> because pasta. Because mm-hmm. pasta. Uh, on each of their days, they also had to give blood samples every 15 minutes for two hours to see what happened to their blood glucose as the pasta was slowly digested you might you know what it, what would happen the cold pasta obviously was more resistant uh than the stuff that had been freshly cooked eating cold pasta led to a smaller spike and and the insulin you know everything was cool but then they found something they didn't expect cooking cooling and then reheating the pasta had an even more dramatic effect it extra confused the guts uh, or to be precise, an even smaller effect on blood gu- glucose. In fact, it reduced the rise in blood glucose by 50%. Weird. This certainly suggests that reheating the pasta made it into an even more resistant starch, a resistanter spar- starch. This makes me wonder, if you go to the old spaghetti factory in the near future, are you going to be able to order your dish as, like, refurbished, like factory refurbished? Sp- is that going to be an option People will for how I mean, if this. Mm-hmm. Here's my worry about this about this article about this story in general. Mm-hmm. It is a very small sample size. It's a very small sample well, that's size. That's what I was going to say. But what I what I like with all these things before somebody starts marketing it and then some some restaurant starts saying, "Hey, uh, we reheat it." You know, they always do that. Or like, we serve room temperature water. You know, because there was somebody who did a study right. about that. You know, it's like, oh, really? Let's all go there because they have room temperature water. You know, but it's like <laughs> they'd be <laughs> brave enough. To, yeah. But what I want to see, I mean, let's let's face it. What we're all concerned about is whether we're getting fat or not from yeah, pasta. Right. Okay, so I want to see a study where it's like they follow at least say two people, you know, for two, six months. Two Italians for six. Yeah, months. yeah, for six months, and one of them has the one Twins. regular pasta, and the one the other one has the reheated pasta. Sure. And did one of them get? surprisingly thin because of this and if not then what are we talking about yeah i think i think that's exactly that's a problem with this on a bigger scale i like that study idea well a lot a lot of people don't even realize obviously infamously that in the concentration camps they were fed reheated pasta daily that's all they got to eat oh wow that's what happened they were they were quite well fed this this isn't from one of your revisionist history books again, is it? <laughs> See, again, you still haven't really nailed down what that means, but it's from a history book I bought. Yeah. I still don't know. History it's, is written by the winners. It's from a... Uh, <laughs> the secret know. winners. Yeah. <laughs> You've been uh, going to those Brazilian bookshops again. 
uh, Argentinian, but yeah, yeah, I've been yeah. to a few. <laughs> <laughs> you, now, how how often does this happen? You'll read a study like this, and my poor dad, you know, who's just falling for all this stuff, hook, yeah. line, and sinker. But it's like at the end. That's why at our company we serve this certain kind of pasta that's been reheated. You know, it's like it always oh, ends yeah, with an advertising. Yeah. I think oh, they call right. it native advertising or whatever. Yeah, there's, but a, it's there's like, a whole lot of there's companies, there's PR companies who specialize in news stories. Well, they commission surveys. There's 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 a couple of major companies who exclusively commission surveys that will then like a uh, studies have shown that uh, the that people have most fun on vacation if they pack three quart like if their sunblock to after sun ratio is forty five anyway whatever yeah, sure anyway and then at the end like halfway down the paragraph it goes in a survey commissioned by Thompson's Holidays mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. right well this and article they happen I mean, to sell it. even yeah. this article there is an embedded link to trust me I'm a doctor the show that they mention that does this quote unquote study yeah this, not, this, this is a this, TV show yes this, this, a, this second part of the study we're not claiming is is a, is a peer reviewed I mean this is not a real thing it's a small sample size but the first part um mentioned in the article of cooling down pasta that i believe i think was, that holds up the cooling down thing was proven the reheating was only done for the sake of this tv show a small sample size doesn't mean it's not true but doesn't mean it's definitely conclusively true mm-hmm. uh, there but is it's a, an interesting idea there's like, an article uh, the today show's webpage, which i found because i was when i was looking at this thing had a slight debunking or a what you know and their their doctor uh called madeline F- uh fernstrom Fern Stromto. And by the way, this is one TV show debunking another TV show. Nice. Yeah. So we're going to get into slightly more peer reviewed science in. stories in a bit. So this is a podcast discussing one TV show, critiquing another TV show? That's exactly. Okay. We are disappearing off our own asses. If someone now, could write is... a zine about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, she firstly points out that the study is small, which has got. But then she says um, resistant starches aren't exactly new. Uh, the study found that cooling and heating pasta makes the. Pa- makes it more resistant to the enzymes in the gut that break down carbs and release glucose. Uh, but resistant starch is a well-known food component and can be classified as a type of fiber. Well, that's already what they said in the article. Um, but the amount of resistant starches aren't significant, according to this Well, see, that's person. the thing. If, if you're eating a plate of pasta and you're full afterward, mm-hmm. um, I well, would think that that would be the indication right there of how much weight you're going to... You know, it's well, like... Certain, well, actually, but certain foods can make you more more full than others with the same amount of yeah, calories. it's not just the, the she, volume no, of food. She says, and this is slightly... too, right? Yeah, this is slightly undercut by the, then the blood sugar test that they did. But she said um, the amount of resistant starch produced in a cup of cooked pasta is about two grams, roughly the fiber in half an apple, which is not a big, a big effect. But, um, and she also says it'll have the same number of calories whether it's cooked or reheated. But then the article we were reading said, yes, but maybe they'll get absorbed differently and yeah. low calories get absorbed slash used. Yeah, I mean, mm. do, do, is anybody saying that the cooling and reheating actually affects the... I don't think anyone's saying it actually affects technically the calories yeah. of the food, but but if you aren't actually absorbing all of those, then who cares? So I'm doubly suspicious of, of the debunking. Either, either way, since we live in LA and all have seen stuff like this happen, yeah. someone's going to ask for that at a restaurant. Oh, I know. Absolutely. Can you can you throw that in the fridge first? Yeah, and then yeah, we eat it exactly. In 10 oh, that's yeah. going to be the. Well, at but, first they'll try and be coy about it, and, and they'll yeah. just leave and then, it. For, and then this, their server is just going to quit. Because yeah, that's I know. When I, every job I've ever quit, every service industry job, it's based on it's based. I quit because of an article. Well, a restaurant is going to open and start <laughs> doing that. That's what will happen now. But like, have over the years, I've had so many people say to me things like do you know and this is 
what I'm about to say is not a real one, but it always sounds like this. It's like, did you know that you burn just as many uh, calories by running seven minutes as you do 30 minutes, you know, or something like that? <laughs> and I'm like, that's stupid, you know? And they go, no, it's because of, and then they'll have some scientific explanation. And I'm like, I want to go, okay, well, you run seven minutes a day. I'm going to run 30 minutes a day, and we'll just see which one's healthier at the end. And I'm not talking about joints and all that stuff, but it's right, like right, right. you just sort of feel like there's the right thing to do and, and the not right thing to do. So that's why I'm just saying, like, if this it is significant, like, it's like I'm not going to all of a sudden be like, hey, wow, I've been reheating this pasta, and I've been eating a shitload of pasta, and I'm <laughs> falling asleep afterward and <laughs> jerking off, and, you know. Right. But, and now I'm thin for some reason. <laughs> like, I just don't believe it. And you know what sucks is that, like, I think being cynical is an unattractive quality to to most humans, yeah, especially of uh, you know the girls that I date because I, I am yeah. very cynical of everything. Henry, uh, so why are we? Why should we have to be subject to these trends in restaurants and things? Why can't everyone just make their own food? You know? Yeah. Well. I actually started cooking about four years ago, and every <laughs> time start. I wanted to cook a dish, I would go to uh, YouTube, and I would like learn how to do it. And it was like, I got to say, as a middle-aged guy who lives by himself, I was like, it was like opening a whole new hobby, a whole new world. I was like, wow, I can just make food all the time, you know? And it's like, so I started being like, I wonder how you make uh pizza you know or i wonder how you make um you know chili or whatever and yeah. so i started uh guacamole you know so I, I would go online and when i was watching these people teach these things you just can't help but laugh because there's 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 a chili video of some guy who's like in his attic or his mom's attic or something <laughs> and he's just like a middle-aged guy and he's just it's all dark and he's like <laughs> We're going to make chili. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people have different philosophies about chili. Uh, some people think that you need beans in order for it to be chili. I am of not of that camp. Uh, <laughs> it's like well, you're creating some kind of controversy that nobody cares about. But uh, I started laughing, so I was like, well, i got to start making my own. Yeah. And I've been doing it, and I, and I have so much fun doing them because I'm actually learning how to cook. Every time I do it, it's the first time I've ever made that thing. <laughs> Yeah, you're talking about Henry's Kitchen. Yes, Henry's, Henry's Kitchen YouTube series. And, I think um, might be my favorite thing on the internet. It's, oh, like, it's, it's really brilliant. Have, it I would be, say if if you've never seen yeah. it, my personal recommendation: Chili, Henry's Chili for One, Chili which is episode two of the series. That's my well, that that's was, my favorite gateway into the series. Yeah, the first one I did, it was like six and a half minutes long, and I was always told you're not supposed to make a YouTube video that's longer than like two minutes or whatever. Right. So. But I couldn't. But I liked doing all the long pauses because that's what these videos that I was so making fun great. of did. As you're waiting so, for the things to cook, yeah. you're just seeing a sad man's life around his well, apartment. Well, that's something yeah. I wanted to bring up because I don't know where you found this guy, this Jose Suicido. Yes. Suicido. Yes. Yeah, the guy that does the music for Henry's Kitchen. He's a very What's tortured man, tortured, depressed. Because he has an person. album out. Yeah. Let's get Henry's suicidal. Ki yeah. Let's he get writes suicidal. all the music. Yeah. Yeah. So what's his deal? Well. um... The the first one I made just had this really sad music because all of, a lot of them do have really sad music. I'm just like, what, can't you get upbeat music? And even if it's upbeat happy music, there's this general melancholy about it, you know. And um, but anyway, uh, so for the second one, uh, yeah, I commissioned Jose Suicidio, who is uh, truth a terrible be last told, name to have. truth yeah. be told, my my alter ego. And oh, I just, uh, yeah, no. 
I have to. I never on anywhere on the album it occurred to me I put out a whole album and I never even put my name. <laughs> so it's like I went to promote it on Todd Glass's podcast and I had all these people tweeting me. It's like it says you have an album. Your name's Henry Phil. I can't find it anywhere. Oh, it's like oh that's right. I should have put my name somewhere and it made it possible. As to discovered by Henry. Yeah, dude. I remember. I remember when uh, when you made Punchy the Clown. You were in. You were at Wiley's in Dayton doing gigs, but mm-hmm. I was at Slam because I was doing oh, that's Wise right. Guys. So I went to the premiere. No, I was at the Jukebox Comedy. Oh, you were at the Jukebox. Yeah, yeah, but I was at Wise Guys, so you got me tickets to the premiere. That's right. In in Park City, and uh, but then when you showed up the following day, you just like didn't bring merch. So that was like oh, so yeah. funny because like oh, everyone yeah, yeah, wanted your stuff. Oh, I know. God. <laughs> it was like this like talk of the festival moment. And then Henry like wasn't even there for the premiere because he had a gig. It was oh, the most perfect like yeah. of all the gigs. It was Peoria. I didn't even get yeah. It was yeah, the, the, it was the, the most Peoria perfect gig. Henry Phillips moment. Oh, what a joke! But that was a that was a fun time. But um, <laughs> no. So um, but yeah. And then I started. Well, the 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 way it started is I I made one. I sent it to Chris Fairbanks, and I was. It was supposed to be, "Is this thing funny or not?" And let me know. Mm-hmm. And instead of giving me notes, which is what I wanted him to do, he posted it on his Facebook, <laughs> and it got like a couple thousand views. And I was sure. just like, "Wow, this is great!" And and I was like, "Well, I guess it's done." I didn't know it was done, but it's done. <laughs> it's done. So the response was so great that I put out another one, and uh, it was the chili for one. But I added the song from Jose Suicidio. <laughs> which was uh, helped me make it through the night, and uh, and literally like three hundred thousand views. And yeah. I was just like, and now it's up to like six hundred or something. So I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna do this for a while. And so I love it because I can put my music in there, which is something that I, as we talked about, I always love music, and and I can be fu- like, there's really. You can I can do one liners in there. I can yeah. do funny physical things. The I can do you everything. Tell as you're doing prep like chopping tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Unrelated story. <laughs> so it's like uh, it. I've kind of found something that's just a perfect outlet for me because I can do anything that I want, and that's you know part of why I love this whole new uh, system that we've got. But um, yeah, but yeah, when you make your own, like for example, mashed potatoes. Just to get back on topic a little <laughs> bit, I had no idea. The mashed potatoes is basically half butter. Yeah. Oh, and it's yeah. like, it's That's potatoes it's delicious. and it's, it's one part potato, one part <laughs> butter. And it's like, I always thought I was eating healthy. I was like, just well, potatoes. how could this be bad? It's, it's potato. But it's you're mostly, you're just, and when you see how much sugar, for example, you're putting in a lot of these things, like if you make your own hot chocolate or something, but it really is unbelievable. Like, so when you start cooking, you start seeing how much, Yeah, and I think that, uh, the reason I stopped doing pasta was that uh, I mean I didn't I've never made pasta but I've made uh, bread and uh, you know I made pizza bagels and stuff like that and you just, you're just pouring all this white well how much semen know, rich in the flour pizza? there this well cookbook I got yeah it depends on how uh, what kind of a night it is <laughs> sure well that's my um, my joke which I don't say in the in the thing but um. I like to say uh, one time uh, in a promotional interview, somebody asked me what were my two favorite things. And I was like, cooking and masturbating. And I'm not sure what the second thing would be. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> in, in the, Henry's Kitchen. It's, Henry's Kitchen is so funny. Yeah, there's a we're going to put some cum in. I can't it's not do just, that joke. They aren't just one-offs. Like, there's a through line to them. Like, the, there yeah. Are, yeah, over the course of it, that's well, the story. And up. you know what I disco- discovered by accident was that one of the reasons people don't turn it off in the first 30 seconds uh, like they do with a lot of YouTube videos is people, 
when you're cooking something, you have a built-in storyline, basically. Yeah. How is this dish going to come yeah. out? Is it going to be good or not? And I try not to make it always that the joke is that I screwed it up. Uh, sometimes it comes out fine, but then something else sucks, you know. Yeah. But um, sure. So I didn't even realize that, but that's a uh, an interesting. Uh, that's probably why there's so many cooking shows on YouTube because it's an it's a uh, it's an automatic some kind uh, of Joseph series of yeah yeah it's a plot. I, me, but I definitely plot. found myself not enjoying like a real like I wasn't even cooking a meal, but I found myself watching a cooking video and not a not a funny not a sketch like yours, yeah, just yeah. an actual cooking video, and I'm not into it. But I sort of want to know how it finishes, yeah, even though yeah, I know it's yeah, going to finish with scrambled eggs. No, yeah, it's totally true. Um, but yeah, if you start cooking your own stuff, you start realizing how much unhealthy stuff that we're eating all the time. And when oh, you yeah, go to a right. restaurant, you have no idea. Probably the better the food tastes, the more bad. Like stuff good there restaurants is in are there. notorious for chucking in a shit ton of oh, yeah. butter and salt and yeah. everything that's bad. Yeah. Right. Um, Jesse, tell, tell us about. What am I tell talking us about? about? Clits. Clits? Oh, I didn't even I didn't know. <laughs> I was trying know. to think of a, a classy way to say it, but... <laughs> oh, well... I listened to last week's episode where I wasn't around. I was like, oh, gee, guys. Yeah, guys. So last week we did use... Uh, the the well, number of times we said the word cunt was off the charts. I think it was fine. I think it was fine, too. We I don't know why you are giving me charts. Which means something very different in the UK, right? It's non-gender specific. It's a type of hat. In the yeah. UK. Yeah. Well, it is gender specific as, as in an anatomical sense. Okay, but, but they don't a, use it as, that In way. a swear word sense, no. Well, they call guys cunts all the time. Yeah, yeah. regularly. Well, that's my favorite way to use it. Is is on a, yeah. on a I, I feel quite sexist the, if I would ever to call a female one, but I, as a guy, you know, to another guy. The best description I got, I think the best analogy, uh, Ed Byrne, the Irish comic. Oh, I, I love him. He's yeah, great. He's great. And he pointed out um, Brits and Irish people use cunt like Americans use motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the yeah. two words are interchangeable. And so, oh, okay. Because well, motherfucker I, out here is pretty bad. It's definitely bad, but yeah. at the same time, but look at this motherfucker. But you could be like, yeah, look at this motherfucker. Or like Europe. Because I got into, I nearly got into an argument when I was fairly new in the country. Me and Ralph, Matt, I was with Ralph Harris. Uh, it was when we were doing Last Comic Standing together, and he was being hilarious. Like the oh, whole day, great. he was he was being he was he got like a really accurate impression of the guy who was directing the show, <laughs> and he kept doing it, and it was it just got funnier and funnier as the day went on. Uh, and I, I like at one point, I just turned around to him and went, "You're being a funny cunt." Oh, and he went like. What did you just call me? <laughs> and like I had to sort of like I had to use Ed's explanation. Yeah, I was like, explain. no, that's like if I went, you're a funny motherfucker. Like that's a compliment. I really, I see. I'm oh, I see. Yeah. So denotatively, that's what it means. But necessarily, like, yeah. So you, if you swap them out, then that's the sentiment behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like you, I see. You're a fun, but it, you'd use it on, in almost exactly the same context. Yeah, yeah. Like you motherfucker, you cunt, or you're a funny motherfucker. Which is uh, totally a positive. Yeah, yeah, totally. I see. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Oh, you're a funny cunt. Like that's that. I would use that. Like, sure. And mean it in absolutely complimentary terms. That's how I'm going to use it from now on. Yeah. Yeah. Anywhere I am. Well, since we're having our cake and eating it too, let's yeah. cool it then heat it up. Yes. Hi <laughs> huh, guys. Yes. Let's guys, do that. Cool Let me, it down for us, Jesse. You guys want to talk about some uh, some clits? I guess so. Why? What better at podcast than four white guys talking about female <laughs> well, genitals? I don't see. I don't also, see what race not? has to do with it at all. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Four guys. Our ones are smaller. I do know, like, we're following a, one slightly dodgy, maybe bullshit story with any story about G-spots generally tends out to have a layer of This is This, this was story? sent in by Morgan Perrine, who's a frequent uh, contributor to the show. And it's and backed he, up on several stories. He, he, does, he does preface this because he sends us a link to the original paper that's cited, then the Daily Mail article, and then the New Scientist's coverage of it. 
It's a it's a pretty suspect. Let's avoid the Daily Mail. Let's go to New Scientist and the paper. Right. Well, the story. Fuck the Daily Mail. The story is about how vaginal orgasms and the quote G spot don't exist. Oh yeah. Oh here you go. Not article. only says does not, but could not exist. This is done uh, by Vincenzo Puppo, who's a researcher at the Italian Center for Sexology. Could, couldn't. What is it? It's like a Voltaire um, quote. Or if if the G spot did not exist, it would be necessary for man to invent and, it. And uh, a co-author, uh, Julia yeah. Puppo. By the uh, way, Vincenzo Papo at the Italian Center for Sexology, I'm sure is a professional, highly qualified and well-experienced scientist, but it does feel like he's doing all his experiments with a glass of wine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He and Julia, was it? He, yeah. yeah, his wife. I'm Julia. getting a boner just thinking about them doing all those experiments. Uh, they argue <laughs> that female anatomy simply does not support such a notion and that direct clitoral stimulation is the only path to climax. Within the first paragraph of their review, they state that women have the right to feel sexual. Women have the right to. That's a weird. That's weird. Women have the right to feel sexual pleasure, and for this reason, sexual medicine experts and sexologists must spread certainties on the biological basis to all women, not hypothesis or personal opinions, and they must use scientific sexual terminology. But then, somehow, some way, in dispensing with uncertainty over the nature of female orgasm and making their argument that the clitoris is the only game in town, they say it is simply a female penis and conclude that orgasm is always possible in all women with effective stimulation. And this is the, the author of the article says, and with those remarks, I'm afraid they lost me, which they sort of lost me too. Uh, female sexuality, including the female... Oh, so this is more... Is this an opinion piece on the... I think this... I think the new scientist... I think we've basically gone straight to the debunking before we've gone to the even the oh, original really? article. Oh, really? Okay, well, that's fine then. Yeah, and I'm all right with that because I, right I, I quite that. like the new... The new scientist is generally a fairly accurate and well-researched... Uh, I'm trying to even get my head around why they wanted to. I mean, I think that their heart is in the right place as far as um, th- they're trying to yeah. give, a, give a way for women not to feel bad about themselves if they've been told, oh, there are all these different ways you can be experiencing sexual pleasure. And it's, just, it's your fault if you have it because you have all these other things. You have these G-spots. These sure. And um, But the strange thing is, yeah, for, for the bulk of that paper, I think they do refer to the clitoris as just a female penis for the whole time, just to really hammer home that point that that's the analogous body part, which, of course, it is. Like, everybody starts off female. Yeah, but you, the, and you could it, call our ears our human gills. I mean, you could do, <laughs> well, you no, could do no, anything I mean, if you're bringing there's up... There's a better argument for this, because it started out the same, then, then hormones caused one to grow more than the other. Sure. But, but also grow differently. Like, you right. can't, you can't yeah. then, as, given that they're... They are very clearly different things, even if they started so, in the same... Does that mean... Uh, cell group? Uh... So if you rub it, it'll come. And that's what they're saying is in the article, saying? which yeah. is, and then this debunking is saying <laughs> at the it's risk a of bit, sounding, uh, it's totally juvenile. what they're saying. It's totally what they're saying. <laughs> but but well, conversely, the translation of that paper. conversely, okay, they're yeah. saying if you don't rub it, she won't come. So I, they're I'm, saying you, but women shouldn't feel bad because they're not built to uh, have orgasms mm-hmm. penetratively, with, unless also the clitoris is being stimulated. In the article, they also talk about like the I call bullshit they, on this whole paper. Well, yes, exactly, because there's so much more that goes into. Orgasm and sex that's that's mental that affects the, the the situation. Like you could, you could just go to town on that body part on somebody who is mm-hmm. distracted because of the death of a loved one, and they're probably not going to have an orgasm or something. Well, yeah. I'm pretty good at it. Okay, well, I just I maybe. <laughs> yeah, it says here that d- direct cervical stimulation can lead to orgasm in paralyzed women, which is something they didn't take into account in study. This is in the debunking of the direct yes. which uh, cervical. Mm. Um, uh, uh, the the effect of the brain on of orgasm, course. yeah. Which it's well, we have wet dreams. Yeah, nobody's touching no us in those situations. It's our Actually, brains. Actually, I I hate to uh, 
kind of burst, do it. burst out of the closet with tell us one of your wet dreams. No, I'm not. Um, every wet dream that everyone has ever had has been because I've been jerking them off while they're Oh, oh shit. Jesse. I have, I, oh, I'm like man. a Santa Claus. Jesse, I'm like why'd a, you do you that? You foiled all I'm of like science. A, I'm like a handjob Santa Claus. Every, every culture, night, every culture has around. a myth based on Jesse. Yes. Like, yes. Pere Noel in some countries. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It's funny uh, if Freud was doing these experiments <laughs> and you're going around jerking everybody It seems as though... Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's the other thing as well. Uh, Freud had uh, a neighbor, a very attractive female neighbor, uh, who used to, whose bedroom window was just behind where he used to sit when he was psychoanalyzing people. Like, really skewed all of his readings. Sure. Like, really? All, yeah. No. All Is of his real thing? all of his patients, like Freud, was convinced they were looking at him, and but there was this woman just within their peripheral vision, just oh. slowly. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know I'm bullshitting, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I, took it I, as thought, a, yeah. I, I thought you were telling some historical... I was half listening, half thinking about whether I'm going to tell my story about the only wet dream I've ever had. or whether Well, yeah, you are. You are now. Well, yeah. It's not very interesting, though. The only time it's ever happened to me is I dreamed I was peeing, and then I woke up and that had happened instead. I The only wet dream that I've ever had um, is I was having a dream that I was masturbating. Interesting. Wow. It was like a... And when I woke up, the pillow was gone. <laughs> I know. Weirdly <laughs> enough, the pillow was gone. You know, but guys... People have had wet dreams of them running, you know. Um, Probably, yeah. Does that mean you have fleas? Well, I, I, went, to, <laughs> I uh, went to BYU for one semester. <laughs> I really did. And uh, my roommate, Sean... Um, told me about a wet dreaming now remember they're not allowed to masturbate and i think that if you masturbate you oh yeah by by that's brigham young university yeah yeah mormon right? oh yeah, yeah. i they, thought they, it was bring your own university it's yeah. Not, yeah yeah okay. but they don't they don't believe in it or whatever and so if, if obviously if you go without masturbating you're you're eventually gonna have these nocturnal emissions or whatever yeah. and they're gonna be based on whatever you the closest thing to sex that you've had <laughs> And I guess for him it was running. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. It was like some kind of uh, euphoric feeling. But uh, now a friend of mine uh, who was definitely not Mormon told me one time that uh, – and this could be bullshit, but I'm glad that you guys are here because we can weigh in on it mm-hmm. – that one of the reasons that you have morning wood mm-hmm. – be, which is a phenomenon that happens. That is a phenomenon. Yeah. Now, for, for we're not necessarily maybe that's just on. popular nomenclature. Morning wood, of course, being the erection you wake up with as a man. Well, he said it's because uh, our bladders are generally full and they touch our prostate. That's and one that's, of the causes, I think. Well, it? no, I think that's been debunked. And okay. they just do studies where they have a sensor on people's penises as, as they sleep, and they just go through a cycle. It just depends on which part of the ninety-minute sleep cycle you're in. Again, in certain parts you're erect, in certain parts hate. You aren't. To leap out of the closet with this. Okay. Morning wood also <laughs> on me. I, oh, Jesse. Well, Jesse. I, uh, every time. Every time I like clock. to sneak around. It's a, you, you really uh, are like, Sam, like, you must be the busiest man. How do you get your own sleep? I, I barely, I mean, that's why, that's why I sleep in every day so late, Andy, okay, is I just okay. get home right before you wake up, you know, and I've, I've been. Just before. Yeah. <laughs> just I have before. something called. Uh, a few seconds before. I have something called morning won't. And. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was a terrible, <laughs> terrible word joke. Well, a half decent word joke. I like it. <laughs> it's pretty solid. Um, but no, so this article, I, I don't think that they're out to be chauvinistic. I think it's kind of the opposite where they're just trying to say, like, remember clitoris is analogous yeah. to the penis. So did, if I, you're not getting direct stimulation on it, it's understandable if you're not getting a lot of... of I'm not even so much bothered about their intentions. I just call bullshit on the science. It's well, just you're it's getting it's paid more government like, money to investigate women's vaginas. But Italian government money, so what else is it going to go not, to? Yeah. I mean, like, if it, like it was either going to go to them or Berlusconi was going to c- keep it himself to investigate women's vaginas. <laughs> so... 
But they did talk about the um, the size and location of the clitoris affecting things, which made sense. If it's closer to the vaginal opening, then it's going to get more stimulation in the course of regular sex, so uh, you wouldn't have to go out of your way to do something additional. So it's, it says here the, the role of... This is a completely different article, but this is talking about the... Uh, also use Google clitorises? Also new scientist. Okay. Um, is, um, uh, this is ironic, because I Googled Henry, but <laughs> this, this, this whole thing about clitoris. Um, so it says... Just, Despite orgasm being a near universal human phenomenon, we still don't know much about it. It's estimated that one in four women in the U.S. has had difficulty achieving orgasm in the past year, while between 5 and 10% of women are anorgasmic or unable to achieve orgasm, but without precise data to explain what happens just during this experience. Well, it's been a tough year. Yeah, <laughs> it has. It has. Uh, there are few treatment options that can help. So this, uh, this study was done. Let me find the name here. Barry Komasaruk at Rutgers. Um, did a study basically just having to do with the brain where um, they they recently found heightened activation in the PFC um, during uh, during female climax. I don't know what the PFC is. Private first class? Hold yeah. on. Let's find it. Oh, prefrontal cortex probably. Pre- okay, there you okay. go. That'd be the one. Um, so what they did was... Uh, when someone goes in, they would instruct them to tap their thumb with their finger for three minutes, then to simply imagine the finger tapping my thumb for the next three minutes as an MRI tracks where blood is flowing in the brain. Immediately after, I followed the same cycle with Kegel exercises, brief squeezes of the pelvic floor muscles, and then clitoral touches, then asked to self-stimulate to orgasm, raising the free hand to indicate climax. <laughs> um, uh, also, uh, close your eyes. Don't look at me while we're doing the study. Close your eyes. Just close your eyes. <laughs> I'm just seeing like you um, come and then it's just like, check, please. You're just doing that motion with the Yeah, hand. yeah. <laughs> um, despite the unique situation, uh, the researchers or the, the, the author here is able to do so without too much trouble. So over 30 areas of the brain are activated as you move from start to finish, including those involved in touch, memory, reward, and even pain. Um, as expected, the imagined clitoral touches and Kegel exercises activate the same brain areas as real ones, albeit with somewhat less blood flow. But um, they found that uh, Janico Gorgiadis at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands and colleagues performed similar experiments. They found that the, that some brain uh, some brain areas are switched off during orgasm, um, and y- they argue that the OFC, which is some other frontal cortex, may be the basis of sexual control. You're gonna guess occipital? I don't know. Sure, sure. And perhaps only by letting go, so to speak, can orgasm be achieved. Um, so you are technically in an altered state of mind just to experience an orgasm seems to be the finding from these studies, uh, as a, as a female, you're in an altered state of mind. It's orbitofrontal. Okay. Orbitofrontal. So perhaps this, you know, I don't, I mean, again, these are just other studies sort of stating that that, you got to be out of your mind to come. You just have to be really let go. I mean, I think that's free for everybody. Yeah. I think perhaps men just have more ease doing that for who knows how many thousands of reasons. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that when we're talking about the brain uh, factor, you know, in terms of as opposed to physical stimulation or whatever, mm-hmm. in terms of having an orgasm or being aroused or whatever. Um, isn't it interesting that sometimes like you, I remember being at a Rolling Stones concert when I was like 20 yeah, and uh, it was extremely crowded and my elbow just like grazed against a woman's breast and I, w- I got a huge boner <laughs> and <Sure. laughs> and yet at that time I 
I did have a girlfriend who was probably even more attractive than the one that that I who's upon whose uh, breast I grazed. Your, your elbow grazed, sure. But I, I don't know, like having complete access to my girlfriend's breasts and being able to feel them whenever I want. It's just sort of like, yeah, that was arousing. Also, but why? Why would just that little tiny bit? I think there was something in my brain that went, "Ooh, this was forbidden fruit, kinky and weird." This is a stranger, you know. This is sure. like I don't know what that's about. Also, but I, stones are playing. But I think that yeah, no, you're already halfway yeah, there. Yeah, but I think there really is something mental happening every time as well. Oh, definitely. Well, well, yeah, Stanhope had a great bit about that. About like if you ever hang out in a strip club, oh, yeah. upwards of eight hours. Mm-hmm. Which which I've actually done yeah. uh, personally, which is pathetic, but um, you could see you see, you're seeing everything of these strippers. But then one of the cocktail waitresses that has to wear like clothes, you accidentally becomes, you accidentally yeah. catch a nipple when they give you your drink, and then it's That's like you've never been ever. so turned on. Yeah, and it's you know I think there have been studies about in other animals also about uh, how, about how important variety is to males in in mating partners. Like how is it just is it just male? I'd like I I'd be surprised if that's gender specific. I thought we'd even talked about a study where they had they introduced new partners to to rats and saw their their testosterone levels increase and just just the fact that it was a different mm-hmm. partner from the one they're normally. But testosterone with. affects female animals as well. Right, I'm not trying to be. Sexual, but, I feel like, no, 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 I feel no, like you're trying to protect me from being sexist or something. I'm just saying. No, but I'm just saying. I just with animals. I I wonder how much of it is is based on the forbidden fruit aspect, not even the variety, but just like if if the girl next to you was a nudist at the Rolling Stones concert, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see if that still would have happened. It's the fact that you're not supposed to. Or yeah, like, yeah. Or yeah. like, um, you know, the way the way some clothing is designed. I certainly. And it's just, you know, what, who gives a fuck? It's, it's what I'm into. But, like, if there, there are certain clothing combinations that arouse me more and women right. than, than others. Beekeeper. But why would we Beekeeper, develop that? hazmat. <laughs> yeah. Having a hard time with this Ebola thing. I yeah. tell you what, every time I turn on the news, jerk. Well, it's funny because women always, not always, uh, some women don't want to have to wear tops and they'll, like, protest and have, like, you know, topless days and stuff. And then, like, on paper, guys, you know, the patriarchy are like, uh, yeah, it's awesome. We love boobs. But, like, they have a good point in that, like, well... As soon as that becomes commonplace, then it's taking away this thing that the patriarchy likes, which is the eroticism of of the hidden breast, and yeah. then making yeah. it this mundane thing. So they have a good point that it is sort of an oppressive thing that having to keep it covered uh, for the sake of male titillation is is pretty effed up. Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, uh, I think it was originally covered up for the sake of male control, right? From yeah. other. Other I don't know. Men, I don't like, know. You know, hide your, we should really oh, be talking oh, about this with a woman on the podcast. Well, we're, <laughs> there's no well, doubt. Well, we are on the subject of um of psychological. Well, we have one very soon that we're. But uh, well, yeah, actually, yeah. Um, I I uh, went to uh, nude beach when I was younger, and um, I uh, you For know as show? soon as I took my yeah, as soon <laughs> as I took my pants off, I just uh, had a rock hard erection. No. <laughs> yeah, and um, and you know what? <laughs> I mean, I was I think I was probably about eighteen, and um, I remember saying to myself like, okay don't get an erection and then it's like you know then it's, I saw naked girls and I was like yeah I'm gonna get an erection but of course. Uh, the thing that I was thinking is like I don't think I want to be walking around naked with naked girls and not have an erection like I don't yeah I don't want to be no that desensitized yeah, you know yeah. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's just sort of like, yeah, you're supposed to have a boner when you see a naked chick, you know. Did and you... that's what I explained to them as yeah, they were escorting yeah, yeah. me away from the beach. I'm that's... not very scientific. I was surprised that that didn't happen at all at Burning Man that I saw. I mean, maybe, I'm sure it happened some places, but... Uh... 
I think, yeah, when it's commonplace, it becomes, it demystifies. But here's the thing. I just want to link to this story because I think it's in a similar sphere of psychology and empathy. Uh, Last week, you guys, I think it was last week or the week before, we were talking about uh, yawning being a contagious activity and a contagious behavior. Got a very good email. And yeah, Michael Cabona, who's one of our regular contributors, he's a listener and sends stuff in quite a bit, uh, said, um, has sent an article that said, this article is about the fact uh, that kids under four and autistic kids don't yawn contagiously. Uh, he says he has a three-and-a-half-year-old autistic son uh, and has tried yawning in front of him to make him yawn, and it never works. Hmm. And his two grown brothers are also autistic, and they never yawn when they see someone else yawn. Uh, and it's fascinating to think yawning is a socially learned behavior. Uh, and then he, he links to a Science Daily story that that yeah. sort of backs that up, backs yeah. that anecdotal evidence up. The this University was- of Connecticut... Um, did this research uh, and it appeared in the September October 2010 issue of the journal Child Development um, to, de- to determine the extent to which children at various stages of social development are likely to yawn contagiously they studied 120 typically developing one to six year olds uh, although babies begin to yawn spontaneously even before they leave the womb most of the children in the study didn't show signs of contagious yawning until they were four the team also studied about 36 to 15 year olds with autism spectrum disorders comparing them to two other groups of just typically, de- typically developing children with the same mental and chronological ages. The children with uh, these autism spectrum disorders were less likely to yawn contagiously than their typically developing peers, and children with diagnoses that imply more severe autistic symptoms were, were much less likely to yawn contagiously. So uh, given that contagious yawning may be a sign of empathy, the study suggests that empathy and the mimicry that may underlie it develops slowly over the first few years of life and that children with those autistic disorders may miss subtle cues that tie them emotionally to others, according to the researchers. Hmm. It might provide guidance for approaches to working with children with autism spectrum disorders so that they focus more on such cues. Yeah, that's interesting. It still doesn't get to the bottom of exactly why it is that yawning is a contagious yeah, action. It's, not, it's, in, it's involuntary, but it is social I've heard somehow. I've various theories, and, I, and it, they sort of tie into the various reasons why we yawn. Yeah, uh, and their th- theories to uh, along the lines of us needing to take in more oxygen for various reasons, or even just a cue that it's t- nighttime and it's tired time. I want to know, Michael but, Gabona, what other weird experiments are you doing at home with your kid? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, but, a lot of times I've heard it's uh, it has to do with being nervous. Okay. Yeah, I've heard it's associated to the, with that. Which, I mean, being nervous is so general. I mean, an- anxiety symptoms could be anything. Well, again, but you know, that would again make sense breath. because a yawn is something that take, is, is a deep intake of air. Yeah. By the way, how so have we all been talking about this this long and none of us have yawned yet? <laughs> I can't believe I did. that. You I did? I actually did, yeah. Oh, I, didn't see it. Oh. I I tried to cover it up. Or am I autistic? I yawn if a you're, lot. Uh, <laughs> if you're... Oh, see, normal, I totally normal. I can't fake it and make you guys do it. I tried to fake a yawn to see if nobody's but uh, now it's real. Now it's coming for real. It's coming. <laughs> no, it just means we don't like Andy. Oh. But uh, are you guys you... autistic? Are you, what is wrong with you? If you're anxious, then you take shallower breaths. You're taking in less oxygen. You're, you, you if might, an autistic yeah, person breath doesn't, is definitely related to anxiety. <laughs> As a non-autistic person, <laughs> well, I, you can ask Michael Gabona. He, it's when somebody yawns when you're telling a story, you, we always interpret it as though they're bored. Sorry. And yet... Uh, <laughs> now the floodgates no, no. open, I'm genuinely yawning. No, I know, but um, it's, it's not, it doesn't mean that at all, you know, but it's funny. But I don't know if that's one of those memes, like we always oh, saw yeah. it on TV, that somebody yawns we... while you're telling a story. 
I think but, it just uh, means like they suddenly got tired. You were so boring. Yeah, that's the that's the correlation. But absolutely, well, I guess you do. You just do means when you, you wake want up, more don't air. You? Yeah, but I mean, we don't know if it means you just want more air, right? Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm I do know sure that once know. I was at this. Um, it was like this sort of writing meeting at the BBC. Every so often they have these like little workshops and things where they'll bring new people in and they they, they were like we're gonna do a one day sitcom writing workshop or masterclass or something sure and at some point in the period or I think it might be sketch writing whatever it was at some point we had someone who was a more senior producer in the BBC come in to talk to us for a little bit and I think we presented some of our sketches and then he was talking for a bit and I just my mind just wandered and then for some reason I just let out the loudest involuntary yawn. Oh wow. Just like a almost like a roar. Uh, like, no, it was it yeah. was more like a <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, That's It was hilarious. almost like a bellow. It was like a Oh wow. You know what? And then I just embar like, I, just, <laughs> like oh, wow. I don't know why I'm really I'm really sorry that was no, so rude no of me. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost like I just like <laughs> like growled it. That's hilarious. Yeah. Awesome. You know what could happen when you yawn if you yawn too hard? I bet what? your appendix could rupture. Oh no! But then you could go get in surgery, and then you get it taken out, and you're, you're in the clear. Then you're healthy. You're in the clear. You're totally fine. You'd have an appendix scar. Nothing bad would happen. Well, though, could, from well, that. What, what happens happen if you yawn too hard? Then. Well, uh, did you know that a man claimed that a tropical spider burrowed under his skin via his appendix scar? Hmm. What? Hey. What? Um, <laughs> what are you talking about? This is Dylan Thomas, a 21-year-old from Western Australia. Um, Wait, isn't that the name of uh, fame? That is a name of a very yeah famous, famous writer, poet, very famous. Bob Dylan named himself after um, Dylan Thomas was uh, uh, "Don't Go Gently into poet. the Good Night." Despite uh, despite staying in a rather posh hotel, this this Dylan Thomas. <laughs> did go gently into that good night. <laughs> he did. He claims his body played host to a tropical spider for three days after it burrowed into his torso through a scar in his belly button. The trouble began one morning when he noticed a red line um, around two inches long heading up from his navel. Over the course of the day, it had grown to about three inches, grown by about three inches towards his chest, um, prompting him to seek medical attention. By the way, we're doing this story intentionally to wake you up after the yawning story. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the physician initially thought it was a reaction from an insect bite and prescribed a topical antihistamine. Unfortunately, it didn't work, and later in the day, the red line, which had resembled a hard scratch, began to burn and form blisters. He sought a second opinion the next day and found out the true cause of the lesion. He hadn't merely been bitten by an insect, but a small arachnid had likely entered his body through a scar in his belly button from a recent appendectomy. I didn't even know belly buttons were a way to go in for the appendix anymore. Oh, you can can always go in through the belly button, Okay, You can always get in there. Yeah, I mean... According, you know, I mean, the law of numbers says that stuff like this is going to happen, and now we're all going to hear about it. But, I mean, it does sound like bullshit, but we know this Did is true. Did you see the picture yet? Yeah. Do you want to see the picture, Henry? Your sure. Kind of horrifying. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. God, that's awful. Um, it was dead. The spider was dead when it was surgically removed. Um, that's a bad day. That's what they say. Yeah. During, yeah, man, it was already dead. I didn't kill it. <laughs> during the three-day-long expedition through Thomas's body, uh, the creature had gone through the navel all the way up to the sternum. The eight-legged stowaway was sent to an... It's er- kind of adorable, really. ...arachnologist yeah. <laughs> uh, who will provide it's identification. It's a little cartoon. <laughs> yeah. It's like the incredible... What's the one with the three animals that find their way home? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like Faisal Goes West, or is that a different one? No, it's mm-hmm. uh, Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound. Yeah. Amazing race. Homeward Bound. Yeah. About a family that just abandons their animals, and yeah. then the animals want to get back to them. Like, they weren't even going on vacation or anything. They just <laughs> yeah. moved and left their animals in their house. 
was back when you could like have that and as a they premise. Had, like these burglars that were like, and they. He was trying to. Oh, I'm thinking. The pets, home the pets alone. thwarted yeah. them by putting no, you're out like, of, yeah. tar and nails and. What was yeah, the one yeah. with the Saint Bernard? What was that one? Heidi. Cujo. Cujo. Uh, Beethoven. Beethoven. Oh, Beethoven. It was like a kids movie. Yes, Beethoven's yeah. third. Beethoven. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good call. And eventually, there were sequels that were named for the number of the symphony. Yeah. 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 This, by the way, is a story that Neil Aberdeen found in on the I fucking love science website. Well, thank God that's the only spider news. Right. Yeah. Like, how how could there be one? What one? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's yeah, probably some arachnophobes who listen to this thing, and they're like, "Phew, we're well, done no, with I, spiders I now." Have a lot of, really... I have a lot of empathy for arachnophobes as someone that suffers from from some phobias. You know, I and I I have a lot of. Oh my God, you guys! Uh, sorry, I was just handed a piece of paper here. Oh no, this just in. Did you know that a puppy-sized spider surprised scientists in the rainforest? What? Yeah. With its adorable puppy-like tricks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> It was humping their leg. Uh, <laughs> Piotr uh, Naskreki was taking a nighttime walk in a rainforest in Guyana when he heard rustling as if something were creeping underfoot. He turned on his flashlight. Obviously, you'd expect a small mammal, maybe a, a rat, some sort, sure. of, some sort of opossum. Uh, when he turned on the light, he couldn't quite understand what he was seeing, said Nesgrecki. Uh He's an entomologist and photographer at Harvard University's Museum of Comparative Zoology. A moment later, he realized he was looking not at a brown furry mammal, but an enormous puppy-sized spider. Known as the South American Goliath bird eater, that's Theraphosa blondi, um, the colossal arachnid is the world's largest spider, according to the Guinness World Book of Records. Its leg span can reach up to a foot, or 30 centimeters, or about the size of a child's forearm, with a body the size of a large fist. And the spider can weigh more than six ounces, or 170 grams, and about as much as a young puppy. Um, Again, uh, six ounces. Can't they I know, it's weird. Like, like a rat or something, That's, but why put... It's that they're trying to make it... They're trying weird. to make it creepy, but like six ounces is... Why don't they just say a hamburger patty? Because it's, it's not... Like, it'd be a fetal puppy. Yeah, yeah. It fetal wouldn't be puppy. a puppy that's running around. A puppy sure. that's running but around is like... one foot over leg span? One foot leg span. Um, when, so when he approached the imposing creature in the rainforest, it would rub its hind legs against its abdomen. And at first, he thought the behavior was cute, but then he said he realized that the spider was sending out a cloud of hairs with microscopic barbs in them. When these hairs get in the eyes or other mucous membranes, they're extremely painful and itchy and can stay there for days. Its prickly hairs aren't the bird eater's only line of defense. It also sports a pair of two-centimeter-long fangs. Although the spider's bite is venomous, it's not deadly to humans, but it would be extremely painful, like driving a nail through your hand, he says. (laughs) And the eight-legged beast has a third defense mechanism up its hairy sleeve. The hairs on the front of the spider's body have tiny hooks and barbs that make a hissing sound when they rub against each other, sort of like uh, pulling Velcro apart. Yet it doesn't pose a threat to humans. Even if it bites you, a chicken can probably do more damage, it says. Um, Even though a chicken lacks any kind of hairy sleeve. The chicken Uh, does lack a hairy sleeve. Um, But but, uh, yeah, despite its name, it doesn't usually eat birds. Uh, It's certainly capable of killing small mammals, but they usually attack... um, The main thing is um, earthworms. They're very nutritious for them. Oh. And, uh, Apparently they're nutritious for humans as well. Yeah. A lot of stories done, articles I read recently about how we should be, or can and should be eating insects. Hmm. And, Wait, so and grubs worm, and... Uh, is and a worm, worm an insect? No, worm, worms aren't insects, but like worms, grubs, insects. What is a worm? It is a... Flatworms, tapeworms, and flukes are... Earthworms are the ones I remember. Annelids, also called yeah. ringed worms, are a large phylum of segmented worms with over 17,000 modern species, including ragworms, earthworms, and leeches. 
Sure. And they're hermaphrodites. They're in the superphylum of Lophotrochozoa. But they are in the animal kingdom, which is oh, your original question. Oh, that was the question? I'm sorry. I was too busy looking it up to see. So it, the so animal... But aren't insects and arachnids in the animal so kingdom? So if you ate it, you'd be eating yeah. meat? Yeah. I mean, what's, what's the definition of meat? Yeah. I think you would be. Yeah, technically. Well, I'd like to refer Protein. to our friend Morrissey on this one. Well, because okay. we were talking about the, the definition is murder. It's murder. That's true. <laughs> Those are equated. Yes. Can I tell you my quick story about that? Which yes. uh, do you know the Cat and Fiddle is closing, which is a bummer because of, that. because of Morrissey's yeah. cancer. I don't know, but um, Morrissey just found in that, that out. I think he likes to hang out he there. He likes to town. hang out there. Um, oh, really? Years ago, um, my old roommate gave me a bunch of shirts. As a matter of fact, we touched about it in the movie Punch and the Clown, but. Um, he uh, touched about it. We touched on it, but um, he gave me <laughs> this. Uh, while talking about it, he gave me this one shirt that said "Meat is murder," and it was and it had a big picture of Morrissey on the front. And now I'm just a generation above that. I wasn't a Morrissey fan. I didn't really understand it, and uh, it wasn't for me. But I wore this shirt because I didn't have any other laundry to wear or whatever. And yeah. uh, so I went to the Cat and Fiddle, and I'm just standing around with my Morrissey shirt. And some guy comes up to me, and he was like, "He's here." <laughs> and I was like, who's here? He's like, you know, him. He's here looking at my shirt. And I was like, oh, I don't even know. I don't know anything about this shirt. Man, you could not see more disappointment in a guy's <laughs> oh, face. Wow. He was just like, you, heathen. You know, what you are you now, doing? Now, was you that guy who came up to you, was that Morrissey? <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> and Morrissey was there. How how funny would that be if Morrissey was afraid of me as being some kind of super fan or something because I was just standing around, you know, having a cigarette? Or that's just like how Morrissey introduces himself to people who he knows are fans. Yeah. He's, He's here. here. He speaks about himself he in the third person. He speaks to you person. now. <laughs> the, the level, the, it's a different level of fandom with those pe- like oh, people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People get... Uh, They'll have him sign his autograph on their body, then instantly go to a tattoo shop and have that tattooed over. Marin gets oh, that wow. a lot now. No. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think... I, Absolutely. The tattoo thing I've seen happen for people who aren't as on the same level of obsessiveness as Morrissey's fans, oh, but... I hadn't um, heard of it before that. I didn't but, know it was a thing I missed What? But yeah, the, what really amazed me when I came here is I, I've got... A lot of I, I quite like some Morrissey and some Smith songs, but I'm not an obsessive fan. I got mm. various friends in the UK who were very into Morrissey, and they were generally of a certain type. And then I came to America, and Morrissey fans What's the in California, <laughs> it's it's very strangely divided between people who I'd consider to be fairly similar to my friends back home who are Morrissey fans, who are generally tend to the more bookish end of the spectrum. I'm sure there's a fair crossover between Morrissey fans and our podcast listeners, and the. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in in America, the Hispanic community it's mm-hmm. the strangest it's across the, strangest the board. Fan base. Yep. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Have, Did you not yeah. know that? It's a big blew thing my here. mind. The Hispanic just, community loves Morrissey. Not that there aren't also bookish Hispanic people, but the the Hispanic people that was tend a little to be racist. In, in, some of them are bookish, others are Hispanic. <laughs> yeah. But across the board, like just. Yeah, but it's it's just a strange. Like I can't think of any. It, it, you couldn't play his music for somebody who didn't know that and have them guess. What ethnic ethnic group is going to love this music and have that? There's no reason they would guess that. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. But it's it's huge. He yeah. has big fans. We have big fans. We do have big fans. Sometimes they toss us some shekels. Sometimes, sometimes they do. Sometimes Throw they'll some do money our way. Uh, yeah, and if you guys uh, listening, if you if you like what we're giving you, you know, we do it. Uh, we do it for free. We do it out of the kindness of our hearts. We're we're not on any payroll here, so we we always appreciate it when you uh, you uh, PayPal a little cash our way, which you can do that at probablyscience.com. 
And uh, we got some we got some donations. Yeah, this week. Uh, Justin McDowell was very kind to send us some, some money. Thank you very much, Justin. Thank you, Justin. And um, we Caroline Laco has a recurring payment set up every month, which you can also do through, through PayPal, and that's a very nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Justin, we will catch you in the Northwest next month. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thanks for writing in. Uh, uh, yeah, Caroline. Final we, weekend in November. I'm going to be in Portland and Seattle. Uh, Caroline, we really appreciate uh, a pr- really appreciate your recurring payment. We also um, appreciate Brendan Thompson who sent us some money. Who is a scientist, uh, one of our many scientist listeners, uh, and then and Robert Howley sent in some money. Who uh, Robert Howley had a personal scientist guest pledge. Uh, who yeah said he would pledge every time we had a scientist on, and, and then, then it's chucked in a couple of bonus dollars for the pictures. Oh, I can't see this out loud right now, but no. Jesse tweeted a couple of pictures on the Probably Science Twitter account of, of that some... help illuminate his living situation. Yes, and it's I happening right that. now. That's why we can't discuss it. You hear the you hear the the sounds of the silverware in there. Oh, okay. Something's going down. Oh, we're not photographing it though. Right we're now. not photographing it right now. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much, all of you guys, for sending money. That really helps us. And the other thing that helps us, and I know quite a few of you guys have been doing this, is if you are buying anything from Amazon. Uh, before you click on the thing you're going to buy, it actually helps us a lot if you go to probablyscience.com and then click on the Amazon tab and click through to the shop that is appropriate to your country and then shop on Amazon as normal. It costs you no extra money, makes no difference to your price, but we get a little commission on that. So that Mm. really helps us. Mm. Yeah. So thank you very very much for doing that kind of thing. Absolutely. And uh, those of you who aren't able to donate, uh, we still really appreciate you listening. And one thing you can do that helps us load is to tell your friends. Tell other people, spread the word about the podcast. If you're a fan, let others know. And uh, if you're not subscribing on iTunes, subscribing helps boost us in the ratings. So that really helps to uh, write nice things about us on Stitcher and iTunes. That's that's all cool. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, Henry. Yes. What, what's coming down the pipe for, for Henry Phillips? Well, it You just looks recorded like, a new special. Um, yeah, I just did on Thursday night. And, uh, wow, that took... Uh, I was pretty terrified about it, but I, but I did. Yeah, I was there I mean, for the recording. You know, it yeah, went great. So many things. Oh, thanks. You had some celebrity audience members. Yeah, that's right. Drew Carey was in the audience because he's friends with Brendan Walsh, I guess, and Mike Judge. Um, and uh, I think Mike Judge was just there to drink beers. But um, <laughs> has Van Halen ever sort of has a, Van Halen seen you perform yet? Um, no, I'm trying to think. I feel like there was a little period of time that Dave Anthony there were Dave Anthony sightings around. Um, but yeah, no. um, we got to get Van Halen to see you. Yeah, we'll figure that out. But uh, this special, I can't wait till it all gets edited uh, together, and um, that's exciting. And I, I might as well announce now that uh, it looks like we're going to be making Punching the Clown two sequel to the movie that you can Excellent. see on. Uh, so if people want to see that on yes. Hulu.com, just you you can see it for free. Punching the Clown. It's so funny. And, oh, it's on the free Hulu. Oh, oh yeah, it's on the free has Hulu. No excuse not to watch. Yeah, Punching gotta the watch Punching the Clown. Watch it on your computer. And um, but there's gonna be a new one coming. Yeah, out. and then a new one called Still Punching the Clown. And uh, God, if this thing comes off any bit as as funny as the stories themselves i think then uh, it's all drawn from to be very truth, happy from real oh yeah life experiences no, as all of it. Comic, yeah. yeah i'll just give you one quick teaser i wonder if i should do this yes yes um sure, man, yeah. we have like five listeners well they all donate every week and this is it. like this is something that was based on something that my uncle said to me once when i was complaining to him about the entertainment industry but so uh and we sort of adapted it for the film uh we have this big tv producer um 
who at once at one point is giving me advice and he's going you know when i arrived here in la 25 years old i was just graduated from northwestern university came here wet behind the ears i didn't have anything no power no money but i knew i wanted to be something and some distant relative hooked me up with uh, a guy who was pretty high up at mgm at the time and he sat sat me down and we had lunch and at one point after a little bit of small talk having lunch i just threw my fork down and i said i want in i want in and he was like what do you mean and I go, you know what I mean. I want in. I want in the business. I want what you have. And, you know, right now I might be a big nobody, but I'm young. And a few years down the line, I might actually be a force to be reckoned with in this business. And if you don't help me now, I might not be too easy to deal with in the future. <laughs> and you know what? He let me in. And so we have, you know, that sort of story coming from a very confident pe- person. And then, like, you know... Several uh, days later, you know, I'm at a club (laughs) that I'm performing at and I try to go to the bathroom and this bouncer guy um, is blocking off that area. And I I say, what's going on? And he's like, well, we're, you know, we have a couple celebrities in there and it's a VIP party. And I go, well, that's the only way to the bathroom. And he goes, well, I'm sorry, I can't let you. And I'm like, you can't let me as a customer go to the bathroom. I think that's illegal. And he's like, well, you can't. And then I, I turn around and then I come back and I go I want in (laughs) and the guy's like what do you mean I told you you're not getting in and I'm like no you know what I mean I want in and I might be a nobody now but five years from now I might be some big guy you know forced to be reckoned with and if you don't help me now I'm gonna make things very difficult for you and then it just cuts to me pissing against the back wall of the building. <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, that's just one of the various things the, that we're going to have in there. Yeah. yeah. Very awesome. uh, punch in the clown type story there. But um, yeah, we've got hundreds of those. So let's hope this thing works. What you did that was just all little sketches of you in a bar? Yeah. Like trying to talk Very to similar. Yeah, that was called The Loner. People the can loner. see those on YouTube also. The Loner. If you that go that to, kind uh, of became punch in the clown to an extent, didn't it? All that, um, a lot of, all that some of those style, ideas. yeah. If, yeah, a couple of those bits we reused in Punching the Clown. But if you go to henryphillips.com... one, I'll show you the two inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you go to henryphillips.com and then just uh, go to the part that says videos, it's got all my web series all Henry there. Sixteen, And you yeah. and your fucking coffee's the That's other right. That's in there, too. Coffee. Henry Phillips, and that's, of course, how many L's and how many P's for the listening audience? Two L's and then two P's, but on either side of the the, the name Phillips. So, oh, okay. not together. So, yes. Um, yeah. So and also probablyzets.com will link to as many of these uh, as we can reasonably. And you're do. on Twitter at Henlips. At Henlips, yeah. And uh, then I'll be back touring December, January, February. Excellent. Got Vegas coming up in December. That'll be yeah. Cool. Well, we uh, everyone everyone at the table agrees, uh, except for you, uh, Henry, that you're you're one of the best comics out there. Well, so uh, I don't agree, but thank you. <laughs> very fine. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> so nice uh, everyone has to um, go see him. Just go do it. Uh, Just please do it. So yeah, thank you Henry thank for joining us. Thank you guys us. all so much. Yeah, um, this is great. As always, any questions, comments, clarifications, you can email probablyscience at gmail.com. You can tweet us at probablyscience. Uh, you can donate. You can buy an Amazon. You can tell your friends. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week. Bye.